Today we continue on in a sermon series that we began last week. It is titled, Unafraid, The Places Where Jesus Walked. Our scripture reading comes from Mark's gospel. It's in the first chapter. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth to Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? God, we all enter into this, this space this morning in different places their minds and our, our spirits. Wherever we are, God, we, we trust that you're going to meet us there. We pray that we hear what it is that you would have us hear today with clarity. We pray that your preacher be nothing more than just a vessel, an instrument of your grace. It is through Christ that we pray. Amen. As someone who grew up around mountains and wilderness, I was rather taken aback upon moving to eastern North Carolina several years ago to learn that people actually enjoy spending money and taking vacations to travel to the mountains and the wilderness. I had a really hard time like wrapping my mind around how it is that some folks willingly choose to pack up and to go into the mountain wilderness to hike up ridges as a fun activity, to risk being bitten by a snake or mauled by a bear. I still find enjoyment in the comedies where urban and suburban families load up in the station wagon and they take off to the wilderness. Along the way, there are several mishaps. There are even more mishaps when they finally get there out into the wild. Each time one of my non-native mountain friends tells me that they're going to the mountains to vacate, I always imagine that it's going to be something like you see in one of those movies. I always try to provide some, some helpful tips before they go. Like, number one, just because it's edible does not mean that it is. Number two, this is not Walt Disney World. Do not trust a chipmunk that you do not know. Number three, there are no such thing as a snipe. If someone invites you to go snipe hunting, pleasantly decline. Otherwise, you will be stranded in the woods for the remainder of the night. And finally, if it makes you itch, do not touch it. Seriously, though, who in their right mind willingly goes into the wilderness. 
the argument can be made that Jesus did not go willingly. In Luke's gospel, we read that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. But when you read Mark, Mark says that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. Driven. Forced to go. Forced to go because this is an important part of the mission of God. The wilderness has long been an important part of the story of the mission of God in the world. Well, but before we called it the wilderness, we called it a garden. And ever since that moment that humanity first faced temptation in the garden, in biblical terms, the wilderness has not been a pleasant place. It has not been a place of peace and serenity for most people most of the time. The wilderness, in biblical terms, is not the kind of place that you want to take a getaway to. My brilliant preaching professor, Dr. Rick Lisher, has noted that the Hebrew word that is used in the Old Testament that we translate as wilderness, jeshimon, can actually be translated more accurately as the devastation. In biblical terms, the wilderness is not a fun place to encounter nature. It is a place of trials and tribulations. It is a place where demons are faced. It is a place where spiritual wars are waged. It is a place where temptation is encountered. It is a, a place of, of challenge. It is a place of pain. It is a place where fears are realized. It is a place where the things that you hunger and thirst for, they never seem to appear. It is a lonely place. It is a place where your tears are your food. It is a place of darkness. It is the devastation. Nobody willingly loads up the bikes and the kayaks to go there. You don't show up to school on the first day and tell everyone about your family trip to the devastation. It's not a place that you willingly go. More times than not, in practical terms and in biblical terms, it is not a place that a suburban dad drives you to. It is a place that the Spirit drives you into. That's how it was for Jesus. And from our experience, we also know that sometimes you do not have to go looking for the wilderness. Sometimes the wilderness finds you. Have you ever been there? In your mind? 
in your spirit. Have you ever been there? I bet a lot of you have. I know that some of you have. I've been there. I know the contours and the ridges of the wilderness quite well, having been there more than once in life. And there's no shame in admitting it. I have found, not surprisingly, that it helps to know that others have been there too. That's why support groups exist. And that's why, at their best, such groups prove to be the best type of help that folks can receive. I know folks who have benefited greatly from peer groups who gather with the common experience of having lost a child. They find comfort in the commonality. It helps to sit across from someone who can look you in the eye and say, I know that wilderness. I've been there too. Similar dynamics exist in support groups for victims of abuse, for those who have loved ones deployed, for those who have experienced great trauma, and for those who carry around extreme grief, for those who struggle with temptations of various sorts, for people who excessively gamble, for people who live with addicts, and of course, for the addicts themselves. There's this old story that goes around in support group types of circles about a man who fell in a hole. And that hole is his wilderness. And for the sake of this story, we're going to say that in this case, it was addiction that led him to his wilderness. We're going to say that it was addiction that led him to fall into this hole. And so one day, while in the hole, an educated person strolls by. And this educated person, this well-learned person, walks by and looks down in the hole and says, my friend, what are you doing in this hole? And the addict in the hole looks up and says, well, I don't know why and I don't know how, but somehow I'm in this hole and I don't know how to get out. And the educated person says, I've been studying for this moment my entire life. Let me help you. And so the learned person drops the, uh, uh, the person in, in, in the hole, a whole stack of books, a whole satchel full of books, psychology and sociology and all these other ologies and says, you read all of these books cover to cover and you'll learn how to get out of that hole. And then the educated person walked on. And the person in the hole did just that. The person in the hole read every book cover to cover. But in the hole they remained. And then one day, a religious leader walked by. A handsome, middle-aged man 
kind of balding. I like how y'all didn't laugh until I said the balding part. A handsome, middle-aged, balding religious leader walks by the hole and looks down in the hole and says, my brother, what are you doing in that hole? And the addict in the hole looks up and says, I, I don't know I don't know how and I don't know why. I just know I'm in this hole and I can't get out. And the religious leader, in all of his wisdom, says to the man in the hole, I know exactly what you need. And so the religious leader dropped down into the hole, the book of the Holy Scriptures, in an upper room devotional, being a good Methodist. He said, here, you read these, my friend, and you'll find your way out of that hole. And so the person in the hole did just that. From Genesis to Revelation, he read it all. But in the hole, he remained. And then one day, another addict comes walking by the hole. The other addict looks down in the hole and says, friend, what are you doing in, in that hole? And the addict in the hole says, I don't know why and I don't know how. I just know I'm in this hole and I can't get out. The next thing you know, the addict who happens to be recovering on the outside of the hole jumps down in the hole. And the one inside of the hole looks at him and says, man, what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Now we're both stuck in this hole. And the recovering addict, the one who just jumped in the hole, looked at him and said, it's okay, friend. I've been here before. I know the way out. Do you get it? That's how it is with Jesus. When Jesus incarnated, when, when Jesus was wrapped in this human flesh, when Jesus became one of us and in bodily form, Jesus jumped down into our hole. Jesus entered into our wilderness. Jesus jumped into our devastation. Praise God. Jesus jumped into our hole. Now, when the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness, Jesus had to go alone. Now, I know the angels waited on him and, and all that, but for all intents and purposes, friends, Jesus had to go into the wilderness alone. But because Jesus went into the wilderness alone, we never have to face wilderness moments alone. Because Jesus has already been there. 
Jesus has already been there. We never have to go it alone. When we face trials and tribulations, Jesus has already faced them. When we are confronted with our demons, Jesus has already confronted them. When we are caught in the crossfire of spiritual warfare, Jesus has already won the battle. When we wrestle with those tantalizing temptations, Jesus has already told the tempter, no. When we face those challenges that we feel like are going to overtake us, Jesus has already steadied the boat. When it feels as if our pain is too much to bear, Jesus has already bore a cross. When it feels as if our fears are consuming us, Jesus has already overcome them. When it feels as if the only food that we receive comes by way of our tears, Jesus wept. And when it feels as if we are all alone, when it feels as if we are all alone, Jesus whispers, I've been there too. The wilderness moments, they are seldom good moments for us. There's hurt, and there's pain, there's darkness, and a whole host of other things present that we would rather avoid. I mean, who in their right mind willingly goes to the wilderness? Who willingly enters into the devastation? I'd rather avoid it. Yet, the reality is, is that the wilderness is a place that we will encounter on our journey of life. Now, God's hope for the church is that we can be there for each other, that we can look each other in the eye and say, I've been there too, or I'm with you now. That's God's hope for the church. That's why we gather. But that's not the point of today's sermon. That's just a, a footnote. The point of today's sermon is that the wilderness is inevitable. But the good news is, is that God's already been there. And the Spirit remains there. Jesus has already been there, and the Spirit remains there. And in those famous final words of John Wesley, best of all, God is with us. Even when we find ourselves in the wilderness, the devastation. Best of all, God is with us.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the church says, Amen.